Hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the firecracker department. I've started doing this thing where I do like mini shout outs at the beginning of every podcast just to recognize people that are creating cool things or who are taking creative action or some sort of fierce, amazing action that is somehow changing the world. And I have to tell you, I'm shouting out my buddy, Amanda Bruegel. Now you'll know Amanda Bruegel from Handmaid's Tale and movies like Room. I know, yes, I know I'll have her on the show. We're gonna get to what we've promised each other. Life is busy. And I also, with Amanda, I kind of want to hang on until COVID's done so we can hang out in the same room. But I'll get to it. I promise you. This week, Amanda defended a book called We Have Always Been Here by Samra Habib on Canada Reads on CBC. And they won. They won. And it's such, I mean, it was such a cool debate. And watching Amanda step into this kind of power and fierceness and beliefs and just listening to what Samra's book was all about too. It's just these two powerhouse women coming together and it was extraordinary. I have to also say it's the first time in 18 years of Canada Reads that a woman defender championed a female authored winning book. So it's incredible across the board. If you get a chance, pick up the book, We Have Always Been Here by Samra Habib. So go follow these fierce, powerful, amazing women at Amanda Bruegel and at The Real Sam Sam. They're doing amazing things and they're changing the world. My other firecracker shout out goes to my buddy Monique Madrid. Monique Madrid is one of our firecracker department core members and she, along with Anna Gustafson, is in charge of the comedy department. So once a month they take over the Twitter and support all the fantastic women in the comedy world. She's incredible. Not only does she help out with our core work with firecracker department, but she also She's just a creator. She just makes things happen. She produced a show called Two Girls, One Pup. You have to go check out that because it's fantastic. I also make an appearance with my puppy, Rufus. Well, he's 16 years old, but he's a puppy to me. And she's always creating, even at this time of COVID, she's writing, she's, she's working on new scripts and pitching. She even created a line of greeting cards. She's just one of those people that she just has so much creative energy and she puts it out in the world and it's, she's, Amazing. Go follow her, The Monique Madrid. And that's my firecracker shoutouts. If you have any firecracker shoutouts, please send them my way. I'd love to be in touch with them. Contact me at firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com and let me know what you think is worthy of a shoutout. All right, here we go. This week on the podcast. Oh, just, I just love being able to share these voices with you all. It is the director, producer, Jet Wilkinson. Oh, I love Jet Wilkinson. You're gonna fall in love with her. She's so amazing. Uh, Jet is from Sydney, Australia and has directed some of Australia's most popular shows from long running medical series to soaps and crime dramas, all my favorite, including Wentworth, All Saints and like 120 episodes of Home and Away, just to mention a few. She's She's just prolific in her projects. She moved into directing US TV about five years ago and has not stopped working. I mean, I think I met her about four or five years ago and I've always known her to be working. She's incredible. She's directed a ton for Netflix, including Jessica Jones, The Punisher, and the newly released Warrior Nun. We talk in this chat about everything, about life, about handling, slowing down during the pandemic because she's not used to that. She talked to me about productions in the US versus Australia, working out family stuff around working so much. We talked about what she's learned from Viola Davis, her journey from PA to EP, and so much more. In 2017, she was the co-executive producer and director of How to Get Away with Murder season four, starring Viola Davis. We talk all about that. And then for the next two years, she was the co-executive producer and director of Showtime's The Shy, right? She's just unstoppable. She's unstoppable, seriously. She was even nominated for an NAACP for outstanding direction in a drama series for her work on The Shy. This gal can just do anything. And she does it with such um, grace and joy. It's the perfect combo, grace, joy, and fierceness. I've known Jet Gosh, she used to live in the building that I live in in Los Angeles with her wife Britt and their gorgeous family. And uh, so I've known her for a long time and I have to say 
that being able to break bread with her at the various meals that we've had as a community within this building is just a pleasure. I'm always vying to sit next to her at the table because she's just such a such a treat to chat with. So this was a really great opportunity because we've talked about doing this podcast for a long time. And then the big question was when, because she was so busy. And so then COVID hit and I was like, oh, do you have time now? And she did. So she balanced mothering her child with her wife and was able to throw an hour our way, which I'm so grateful for. I cannot wait to share her voice, her, her stories, her wisdom with you. Here she is, my buddy, Jet Wilkinson. Like you were at oh, a yeah. breakneck for like years, as, as long as my I whole life. your whole life. I've never, never, ever, ever in my whole entire 45 years have I ever had this much time off in my whole life. When I started working, um, you know, the, the Australian wages are nowhere near like the American wages. And, um, you know, when I entered as a production, we call them production runner because you were like the runner, you'd run around and do all the things, but I guess it's equivalent of a PA. Um, and like, I, it, when I got the job, I got my first paycheck and it said $425. And I said, dad, this is $425. He goes, yeah. And I was like, do I get that like every week? And he was like, yeah, that's your weekly income. I was like, but like every week I get this much money. And I was like, yeah, but that's like gross. Like you're going to get taxed. I was like, but that's all going to be mine. It's all going to be mine. Oh, wow. And says, no, it's not. You're going to pay us rent first. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Um, but so that was great. Like, and I, uh, I was so excited that I was like working in the industry and getting a salary and everything. But of course, when they take the production Christmas hiatus, I'd have to go and work in the newsroom, um, to like stay afloat. Cause of course I was like, when mum and dad wanted to charge me 150 bucks a week for board, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go out and live in my own place for 150 bucks a week. But of course, and I had to like pay rent and everything. Yeah. So even in a four week hiatus back home, I would work during the hiatus. And so I, and then, you know, you do the, you do the white middle-class thing and you get cars and houses and all these loans and, and, <laughs> suddenly, and suddenly it's like, I'm never going to have a break. And so truly like, you know, then you grow up and you buy houses and you do all the things and it's like, okay, well I need to work back to back to back to back to back to make ends meet. Um, so I've never had time off. And tr to be honest, obviously I came to America to, you know, follow my dream and tell stories that I probably could otherwise not tell in Australia or have opportunities here that I wouldn't maybe have in America, in Australia. Um, but honestly, like, um, I, I would never have been able to have like this time off in Australia without being paid. Like, and I feel so bad for my friends there. It's actually, I've gone off social media in my wide group mm -hmm. because it was so hard. Um, just there's so many good things and great bad things about social media. It's, it's good because it keeps you connected, but at the same yeah. time, there's just um, so much access. And, um, you know, I was seeing a lot of sadness that I couldn't help back home. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a big industry back home that's really um, suffering because of this. Um, here in America, at least there's, I feel like there's an infrastructure. Of course, there's lots of people here who are suffering, but, there's guilds and unions and Hollywood's infrastructure that are trying to save this this business from you know um, failing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what are we gonna do? Yeah, and also there is. I do love the American spirit of like we will not let this beat us. We will yeah. still make SNL. We will still make this show. We we will do everything yeah. by Zoom. We Don't still you love that? I do love that. I am yeah. so enamored with watching people creatively get challenged and rising to the occasion as opposed to going, oh, well, guess I have to work in a grocery store because I can't do, like, you can do yeah. things. I just watched um, Katy Perry's new video. Have you seen it? No. I, I mean, we've been diving deep into American Idol and she's done this thing where it's all animated behind her, but it's this beautiful, oh. surreal, Escher-like video. Anyway, it's it's... It's creative. Like, it's creative. I, I want to I I I journey back to what you just said. You said we've been diving deep into American Idol. <laughs> I want to know what that may even means. Well, You've just basically been binging it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, big time. But it came to a head last night in the finale, and I won't say anything if you haven't. But it was just, 
you know, you they become your friends, right? And so my friends are performing and, but also watching how they did it. I know, but you know, it's, yeah. I have cocktails and that's how we all balance life. Um, Listen, see how they do at home. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, back home, it's just, it's been hard for you know, because the, the, the government that's in at the moment is just not supportive of the arts yeah. anyway, let alone in this time when they're really, they need to be included and um, help, there needs to be help, you know. And how, how is your makeup, though, like being screeched to a halt yourself creatively? Like, how, are you finding, like, you're fine? Unfortunately, you got AJ around, so that's, like, precious. That, that is precious. And look, every day, you know, you get up and you, I'm, I'm grateful for this family time that we have with him. I mean, I've seen so much, obviously, that I would never have seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he now is in a phase where he's just engaging. Like, he looks at you and he knows who you are. Like, and he reaches for you and he kisses you now and stuff that wouldn't have happened. I just wouldn't no. have been here. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're really great. And he's such a good boy, a good baby. So that's kept us in a routine, you know, as well, like a structure yeah. to our day. And we have a beautiful place where we can like spread out and have a nice time. So grateful for that. Always yeah. get up and, you know, thank the universe that we have this in each other. Um, but of course, from a work point of view, like at first it was like, it actually, you know, when we went from shock to this is really happening yeah. and worrying about the world um, to then I've just sort of plummeted into a little bit of a COVID coma where I've just now, I've just kind of geared down, geared down, geared down. And now I'm like buzzing on a very low level of like, can't be fucked doing anything. Like yeah. um, I have some projects, like my agents put me in touch with people to do some development and I've been pottering around a little bit doing that. But honestly, I've just been doing nothing. Like I, I just... See, but I my, feel like people brain, like you, like it's, it's either full tilt, 23 hours a day to, or like nothing. Let me just be yeah. on American Idol. And it, <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's that's what is, exactly what it is. Like, yeah. can't can't get off the couch really. Can't really do anything. Brit goes for walks with the baby, and I'm like, yeah, I'm exhausted from being exhausted. Um, so well, you might be also exhausted. Like, you might actually go, oh my gosh, your body's like, thank you so much for taking some time off. Like, we need to have time to recuperate. Yeah, I think at the beginning it definitely was a bit of that, but we'd also come off six months off, like because you know with the wedding and everything. Right. Um, we went to Vancouver and did one show, which was, excuse me, a really wonderful show and I really enjoyed it. So it didn't feel like we're, the people were so lovely. I made some really nice friends there and then had more time off. And then the pandemic. And it was just like, oh, I'm done with time off now. Like, this was yeah. nice. But I, I was really, to, I was gearing up to, I was supposed to be in Europe now. But um, there are yeah. things bigger than us, you know, and uh, hopefully just take heed and learn the big picture, you know, learn the... The lesson because I've just known you as uh, as this as like working and if Brit turned up with you it was a bonus although I met you on like 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 one of the sparkly moments of your relationship which I feel so lucky remember the Thanksgiving that we were all together oh yeah 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 mm -hmm. and I was like oh they've been together forever and they're like no no we just got together and I was like what like it was such a beautiful thing to witness that love because at that night we were married and engaged and having babies or something where you would think we'd been together for years, but actually it was like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Because um, I remember Brick going, yeah, so she's, um, yeah, she's going to move in. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah, we just bought a house. Oh, yeah, no, that seems right. Oh, when I said I bought a house, I meant to say we bought a house and had a baby. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, it, it all happened very quickly. Yes. Did you imagine this? Like when you like launched your career did you imagine this being the chapter that you're in right now absolutely not a absolutely not I, um you know i mean that's what i did say to british like this is not the future that i imagined um and i feel very lucky that it has happened you know um i i do um think about that a lot you know the trajectory i think that's sort of the life lesson the trajectory that you think you're on you're you have no idea and no control over, you know? I know, I know, but um, you don't know that in the moment. <laughs> like you don't, you think, oh, I can turn this as opposed to just embracing as things come your way. And what did you yeah. imagine you doing? Well, I mean, you know, I, um, I think, you know, when I came to America, I, I just imagined that 
I was setting up a different life to live back home in Australia. You know, I didn't think that I was going to live here forever. Um, um, so it's certainly not anything that I planned, but also obviously something that I embraced when it came along. Yeah. And what do you feel? I mean, do you miss the idea of going back to Australia? Like you've made your home here and this is, these are your people here. So do you miss having uh, that kind of contribution to Australia? I, I do. Um, you know, often, funnily enough, often I look at going back and I, I don't think we could afford to go back. It's so expensive to go back home right now. Mm. Um, and I felt like there was, it was hard with the Australian industry to feel like I could contribute. It was a, such a small industry and it had such a niche set of people who were making the shows back home. And I absolutely was very lucky to be part of very um, um, smart and uh, high profile groups. But at the same time, I don't think I could have broken out with different stories there like I can in America. Mm. So I guess I, I feel like it can make more of an impact storytelling here. Yeah. So that's why I do want to stay here professionally. But of course I miss my family and my friends. Yeah. And I, I guess I miss the Australian culture for sure. Yeah, you like know. what aspect do you miss? Um, the people are so different. I've been to Australia and I, I can't imagine, like they're just one of a kind people. They are. And you know what, there's, there's that stereotypical sort of like, she'll be right, how you going, easy going, lifestyle, which I really do love. People, salt of the earth, down to earth people, they tell, tell like it is. There is a bit of a small poppy syndrome back home, but I kind of like that because it keeps you grounded. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, then there's, you know, I also had lots of friends who are very, um, you know, uh, supportive of me coming here. And, you know, there's a whole new culture that I embrace here you know there's a there's a hope culture here there's a culture of like we can here there's a culture yeah. of we can you know nothing is impossible here they're, they're dreamers here in America and they're doers yeah and and that doesn't that's exist do. in Australia um I feel like it absolutely does they're, they're, they're smart amazing um accomplished um talented people in Australia but I feel like it's sometimes a little harder mm. um but I guess it's very realistic in Australia. Like we don't sort of blow smoke up your ass, as they say. If it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. You know, just got to work hard right. at it and make it good luck. We'll, uh, won't have much of a chance of doing that, but good luck. And you'll go about your business and you'll do Whose it. Whose voice is that? Is that your father? No, I don't know. It was Alf. Alf from Hanoi. <laughs> um, but in America, it's like, they'll just like be like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We can do this, that, and the other thing. And someone just sort of go, are you shitting me right now? Yeah, like, right. Is this, you, is this really possible? Just tell me the truth. Yeah. You know, so you've got to sort of pick through both cultures and kind of weigh up what you want to, you know, invest in. Yeah. And was there a moment, like, because I feel like as artists, there has to be a moment where we start calling ourselves the, the title, like, of director. Do you remember when you started owning the title of, like, I'm a director? That's a funny question because it took me a very long time. Like uh, because I came up through the ranks at home, um, you know, I came up being the production runner. Then I was like um, second AD, a script supervisor. Then I and then a director by twenty eight, I think. So That's I never fun. really called myself. Yeah, I was I was young. I was very lucky. Um, I didn't really start calling myself a director until you know well into my mid thirties. Like. Even um, if you were director, even if your resume said director, like so, everything yeah. like, hey, director Jet, and you're like, wait a second, yeah. I'm not ready yet. Even now, I just I don't know. I, I've never been one for labels. Right. Um, even you know, it's only coming here and with this new generation, I guess I'm still kind of old school. Like I, I've never been part of movements or I've never been an activist. So I've I've just just been me, um, and. Then it wasn't until I came to America that I go, oh, I'm a gay female Asian director. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. I'm just me, you know, but now I'm embracing all of those um, subcultures because I am a voice for those people. Yeah. Because I am those people now. <laughs> it's only taken me 45 years to kind of really know who I am, to own it, and then therefore to use this platform to be a voice for the people who are otherwise under underrepresented and misrepresented. Yeah. You know, so yeah. now I feel like I have a I have a purpose. Whereas before I was so young and 
you know, I, I, was, I grew up in sort of a white middle-class family and my, and the whole trajectory of, of my life and career and, and, and how I lived my life because of my, my parents, but their whole motto was, you, you, <clears throat> you aren't any different. You're not different. You're not different. You're just like us. Cause that was so important that I fit in. Yeah. You know, I was just as white as them and I was one of them. Um, it's not even being about white or whatever. It's about, I was one of them. So it was like, they kept telling me I'm, I'm not different. Right. As, as, I'm trying to support, as more, support you. From a supportive point of view of yeah. like, you know, so I was kind of like this ugly duckling in this, like, you know, in this like gaggle of swans, you know, you can be a swan. Right. Um, and so right. I grew up all my life just having this like sense of almost entitlement of like, I am just like anybody else and I can have anything I want if I work hard. And so I never felt any sense of um, being discriminated against. I never saw it. I never felt it. If I didn't get a job, I just thought it was because I wasn't, you know, working hard enough. So I'd work hard enough for right. the next job, you know, and never did any of those um, uh, things come into, into play for me until I came to America and they were like, oh, you are the diversity poster child. You'll get jobs like that. And I'm like, what do you, what? What, what, diverse, what do you mean diverse? And I was like, look at you. You tick all the boxes. You, your agents love you. You get, get into the rooms. It's like, you know, by sneezing. I'm like, I get into the rooms because I've done the work. I've done the hard yards. I've worked hard to be here. I didn't even know any of those labels, you know. But then there was a penny that dropped for me. Um, I was working on a show. It was a big network show. And um, we were doing a casting concept call. and um, they said, okay, so this character is all-American, Ivy League, bright future, um, so needs to be white, Caucasian. I was like, oh, okay. And being brand new, I was like, okay, write it down, white person for the all-American character. And then on the way to the casting session, I was like, oh, my God, I feel sick. Like, what? Are, uh, all of these people I'm seeing, they're like, the white blonde haired mothers with the white blonde haired daughters because it was like two characters. And I called up the, one of the, the writer producers and I was like, I can't, I feel really weird about this. Like, are you saying to me that like the all American Ivy league, um, bright future character has to be white. Like why can't it be yeah. Amerasian? Why can't it be Latino? Why can't it be African American? And went, oh no, you're absolutely right. We just did that because that's what our that's what our um, the network will want, the demographic will want. Like that's what Middle America wants. I was like, but if we show them, if we show them what yeah. Middle America, what Middle America, what it could be, don't you think that's better representation? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Just just change it. Just open it up. So I called up the casting guy, and it was like, dude, we're about to do a casting session right now. I can't change anything. And she said, well, as long as you make the mother and the daughter match. I was like, oh my god, that's even worse. Like, right. what do you mean the mother and the daughter to match? Like, what, what, what? They have to be. She's blonde, so the daughter's blonde. She's brown haired, and daughter's brown haired. Like, right. what are we saying? Anyway, so we did the episode. It was way too late for me to, to have had this voice. Like, it was just the train was already on the tracks. So I couldn't change anything. But what it did change for me was how I approach things from now on. That I actually embrace now. Okay, you want me to be the diversity hire? I will be the diversity yeah. hire. I will be the voice for the diversity characters and the, the diverse sort of representation of like, well, we can have all ethnicities for that character and the mother and the daughter don't have to match because I don't, my mother was yeah. white. I don't match her. And even my friend who's biological, um, biological mother is Swedish and she's, and her dad was um, Filipino. So she's sort of Eurasian and her mum's sort of blonde. So this whole concept of, families having to match, we can change that. That's why I'm here in this business, to sort yeah. of make a statement, to reflect a part of society that otherwise aren't reflected and to make that part of mainstream, how we culturally view ourselves. Um, do, and yeah, so, do you feel like that's a lot of responsibility? No, I love that. I want that. <laughs> I, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I'd rather that. Well, I was going to say that mindset because you, you probably didn't know that that was your role until you right. were faced with it. And then you were like, oh, this is what I'm, I'm here to do. Yeah, but that took 45 years. That took like 20 years into directing. I don't really, I think I did, 
I think I directed for a long time because I just like being in charge because I'm a Virgo. (laughs) (laughs) But now as a storyteller, I think it's really important. And do you feel like that's a, there's a story? Because I, I was kind of looking at the, the span of your, your resume and it feels like there was at one point that you definitely made a turn into a genre. Did you feel like that? Did you feel like a conscious choice to do um, specific types of, of films and TV? Yeah. That's not necessarily where I necessarily want it to go. It's so funny because when I came to America, because I'd done a show called Wentworth, which is um, a very graphic sort of, um, it was a very violent show. So I enjoyed doing it, but it was also very psychological and very dark. Um, And so I ended up being able to connect with that visually more than other shows. So I seemed to make a big connection with the Marvel shows over here, which I loved doing. There was sort of something very graphic and visual about doing those shows. Yeah, what did that do Um, for you? Like what did that tap into for the Marvel stuff? It's it's weird because it tapped into me finding myself visually, I think, ah. um, cinematically, because I worked with great cinematographers, you know, that, I that you know, we had the, I guess, time and money and toys here in America that we probably didn't have in Australia to just really explore. Um, but, you know, I, I did a show called The Punisher and when my agent first told me about it, I was like, I don't want to, how, what am I going to relate to about that? that show like how am I going to relate to that show it's about a guy a navy seal who goes around on a killing rampage as revenge it was very violent yeah Yeah. that doesn't seem like you're like if I I just wouldn't put you in that slot of violent navy seal no it was weird and but then I got there and I just loved working with the people I love the the actors John Bernthal was just a dream to work with, probably one of the best actors. He would probably be the highlight of my whole career here in America, aside from many, many people. Um, but he was just such a consummate gentleman and such a consummate professional that he reinvigorated my faith in, I don't know, an actor's sort of passion. He just yeah. did take up, take after take after yeah. take. He was so committed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it became more than the work. It became just about having a, almost just a, a professional connection with someone of like we're going to get this and we're going to make it fucking great and we're going to mm. do this together and there was something some camaraderie there that I loved um and then obviously you always base any of this stuff in hopefully character and find a truth into what he's doing so hey let's not just kill these guys in this scene let's take it back to why you're killing these guys and the the, the passion from where it comes from the love from where it comes from so I hope maybe I brought a different point of view for John. Like if I was to direct him, it came from that place. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it rather than it just be, we're going to beat him up. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I hope yeah. that bring an extra layer to those shows, yeah. um, which I think a lot of those actors were already doing anyway. So I hope that I could, I was able to collaborate with them on that level. But then you get stuck in that sort of people when I'm trying to sort of break back into the character stuff and the sort of grounded dramatic stuff. Um, people are looking at my stuff going, oh, but you're a genre director. It's like, no, I'm actually, I'm originally from, I'm actually freaking originally from soap opera. That's so know. funny. I couldn't get out of soap opera TV. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I didn't have a neighbour. And no one in Australia would take me seriously. Um, it took a long time to break out of that mould. So it's funny. It's people just see what they want to see. You know? Did you do and that consciously? Started. Like the breakout from and no. start just like focusing on other types of genres? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, it's so funny because I did um, Home and Away, but I did Home and Away for, I was at Home and Away for like eight years and that's where I cut my teeth and all the things in my life happened there. And then I just needed to take a break. So I stepped out and did some live music, television producing, which was a lot of fun. Then I, I love that you think that was a break. Just so you know, you were still working. I just want you to be clear about that. <laughs> I was still working and I was, I was like doing big day outs and watching uh, Metallica on stage and Beastie Boys on stage. Like yeah. I was having the time of my life, yeah. like and meeting amazing people who I'm still friends with now. So I had a great time, but I guess it just took a step away from drama at that point. Just tried and did live TV and knew that drama was in my in my blood. I needed to get back to drama, so I went back and did Neighbours um, and cut my teeth a bit more down there and had a great time there too. And met some really great people. Um, and then when I tried to break into one hours and did a uh, hospital show, it's kind of like a Grey's Anatomy type thing. 
I went and did this interview. So I was living in Melbourne and I flew up to Sydney and the producer was like, okay, so, you know, uh, what is your cinematic style? I was like, oh, um, I like tracking cameras. <laughs> uh, I like shots that are moving. He goes, mm -hmm. he said, what's your favourite film? And I was like, my favourite film is Legally Blonde. And no. he was like, I'm sorry, what now? And I was like, Legally Blonde 1 and 2, actually, the sequel is really funny as well. Oh and, he, and this guy, this guy is this, like, actually a wonderful friend now, but he was, he's like a very um, esteemed film producer back home. He, he produced a lot of big, like the interview with Guy Pearce. He was very sort of, you know, filmy, film, film guy. Mm -hmm. He was like looking at me like this, like Legally Blonde, really? <laughs> and I'm like, he said, what do you like about Legally Blonde? And I was like, I just think Reese Witherspoon is amazing. I mean, she's just like um, smart and funny and relatable and kind and um, yet very successful and blah, blah. And it was like, mm -hmm, okay. He said, have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? And I was like. <laughs> very similar, very similar. Okay, Pan's Labyrinth. No, I've never heard of it. I'm, I'm so naive. Never heard of it. I'm um, goes, okay, well, that's the type of stuff we're wanting to try to do here at All Saints. This is a hospital show. Yeah. He wants to make it a little Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, don't ask me why. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely rent that. And he goes, mm -hmm. he said, and your showreel doesn't really exemplify to me any sense of cinematic consciousness or style. I'm like going, oh, okay, okay. Well, I know what it means. He goes, mm, we, your showreel just doesn't exemplify that. And I was like, okay. Um, and then he said, um, have a look at, there's an episode that we've just shot. It's very much the style of where the show's going. You should take a look at it. But thank you so much for coming in. Um, and we'll get you that, that episode on your way out. He's literally ushered me to the door right. and then closed the door behind me. And I stood in the doorway going, I can't believe what just happened. I, and I, I was so upset. I went to the airport and cried. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. But then. So this was, this was me trying to break it from soap opera television into one hours, you know. Yeah. And so I Wait, thought. Wait, sidebar. I, sidebar. They're coming out with Legally Bond 3, just to let you know. I know. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I just, like, got a job with Hello Sunshine. Um, okay. I'll talk about that. All right. So I went home, back home to Melbourne. And even though I'm from Sydney, but we moved to Melbourne. And then I got it, you know. So I went back to Melbourne. I was like, fuck that. Like, so I watched the show he's talking about. And so I watched the episode. I cinematically deconstructed the episode because that's actually what I did at university. Yeah. Yeah, because you have a brain for that kind of stuff. You, you like delving yeah. into the technical yeah. aspect. Yeah. So I did the thing and then I recut my showreel with all this, with cinematic sort of choices, re deconstructed my own showreel and then wrote a letter and said, I'm embarrassed like I'm so sorry for some reason I just did not expect you to ask me those questions which is dumb I don't know why I didn't think he would ask it was one of those first big meetings I ever took to be honest with you yeah I said I absolutely know what you want for cinematic style and here is a deconstruction of your episode here's a recut and deconstructed um um thing of my showreel I really want to work for you and literally it was like literally dvd and like yeah I typed it in and printed it out and put it into an envelope this is all so old school yeah, when um, they had envelopes, remember those days? I mean, yeah, and the mail, and sent it off, and then literally the next week he said, I've received all your stuff and I'm very impressed. You obviously do know what you're talking about when, when you were available. That's incredible because, so what was the moment that you were like, I can either go and sit on my couch and drink cocktails until I fall asleep, or <laughs> I can get to work. Like where, exactly. what gave you that kind of, because I think there's two different personalities in this business. Some people that get defeated, and I also think that there's times where we do get defeated and there's times where we rise up. But what gave you the, I don't know, the chutzpah to rise up? Because I knew what he wanted I could do. Right. Right. And that he was judging me too quickly. You know what I mean? And so, and I have a huge ego and a lot of pride. And I was like, no, I was not going to let him fucking beat me. Like that's, yeah. this is like, um, you know, if he said we need someone who can spin their head around in a 360-degree revolution 14 times, then I'd say, okay, well, then I'm not your woman. But I can do this, you know what I mean? And, and, if, and I, would, I would prefer to have been the no to come from having done the work that he wants or that I know that I can do rather than a no because he's misunderstanding me, you know what I mean, or a no, based, a no that's baseless. 
you know. So um, I, there was no doubt in my mind that I could do that job. So, what, and what kind of little girl was Jet to give her that history to get to that moment? Um, I guess just really a determined kid that would take, I would never take no for an answer. Like, yeah. even if my mother said no, I would just like, but why? But why? Why no? Why? Yeah. Um, now, it can be bratty or it can just be determined, a, a determined kid. Mum would probably say a bit of both. Um, but, you know, I think that's just a determined kid. I just wanted what I want. If I wanted something, I'd get it. Yeah. So that was one of those moments. Like I always think there's these little tipping points in our life when we're like, Oh, well maybe I'll, I'll study dental hygiene or something else. And you think your past going to go and then you dig a little bit deeper. So that seems like one of those tipping points. Was there anything yeah. else that you kind of were like frustrated and then dove, dove deeper into it? Um, no, I mean, that, that, that that was probably the big turnaround where I just really did stand up for it. And I got, and I got what I wanted in that I was yeah. determined and knew that I could do it. And the first episode I shot for them, I got nominated for an Australian film industry award. Right. So, so it, was um, in, it was all in your instincts too, right? Like your gut was like saying, this is mine. Yeah. I know what you want. I, I just knew I could do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when you came to America, did you, hit the ground running here or did you find yourself like, cause also you didn't have your community and I know your friends are really close in Australia. So you didn't have the people here to have that kind of support. What was that time? I, like had, I had ultimately nobody here at all, except one of my, one friend who was always a good friend, but now she's like probably like literally a sister now. She's was such a support throughout the, the whole American time. But ultimately I didn't know anyone in America and it was, it was just hit the ground running again. It was just like, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is the time, and um, that was the same the same type of thing. Like kind of, I, I I sort of emailed these people through somebody else, and they said, "Sure, come on over." So I so I came over, but then when I got here, they weren't answering my calls or my emails. I was like, "Yeah, oh, shit!" Like I'm I'm in America. Like I, I don't know. They're not responding to me. So I literally called them every day, and I'll be like. Guys, like I'm in America. I'm here for two weeks because I only could take two weeks off. Um, this is it now or never. And so luckily um, they said, okay, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, let's catch up for a drink and we'll meet you next week. I was like, catch up for a drink? Like I've just flown 10,000 miles to be here. Um, and then luckily they, they took the meeting and I think, uh, yeah, we just, we clicked in. It was like, okay, this was the, literally the Thursday and I was leaving the Friday. And I was like, oh, let's get to some meetings. It's like, guys, I, I was here for two weeks and you didn't meet me till now. I'm leaving tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I said, okay, we'll come back in July and we'll set some meetings for you. And then I just did meetings back to back to back to back. Yeah. And then, so I was, uh, came in March for the first meeting, came in July for all the meetings. And then I was working in New York in October. Right. Um, on on Madam Secretary at that time. Wow. So it, and then once I started working, I just didn't stop working. It was no, it just, I mean, it doesn't feel, it feels like you'll stop working because of a pandemic or because you say, I want to stop working. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think? What's, what do you think you're like years from now? They'll be like, Oh, that's such a Wilkinson like as a director. What do you think you bring to set? Um, Oh, I definitely, it's so funny when, when I, my impatience when I come to set because um, I'm just such a um, I know exactly what I want yeah and I know exactly how to get it but I also know I need all of the collaborators and artists around me to do that right. so I hopefully rally and inspire people of like this is this is the vision and I need you and you and you and you and you to then come together to do that so let's do that and so people yeah. go great you've got the vision you've got the leadership, you've got the plan, I'm in. And yeah. hopefully once they see the end product, they go, oh, wow, look what we all achieved together. It's about, yeah. oh, I did that part of that shot and I feel like I contributed. Great, I'll invest in the next shot. Yeah. So I hope that when I walk on a set, people feel like they go, cool, what's Jet got in store for us today? She's going to be challenging. She's going to be tough. She's going to be demanding but she'll also be rewarding and she'll also recognize us. She'll also include us. She'll also um, make sure that we know that we are needed for this team effort. Mm -hmm. So I feel like 
I'm, I can be a tough leader because I don't tolerate any, I don't tolerate people slacking off because I work hard for 16 hours a day. I want you to work hard for 16 hours a day. I'll stay on set with you for 16 hours a day and I'll be on that, I'll be on that Chapman dolly standing at the, at the front the whole 16 hours. So I want you with me there all day. Yeah. So people, people know I'm a tough leader, but I hope that they feel like they achieve something by the end of the day. Cause I know people come up to me and say, that was the best fucking day. Like we made some beautiful art. Yeah. We weren't just, we weren't just punching a card, mm-hmm. you know, I go up to focus follow and I say that was magic. Yeah. You know, on that, on that sixth take, you, you got that because you didn't give up. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, the 20th take, you're still there holding the lighting up. You're still there sort of doing all the work behind the scenes that I hope that they feel like they're part of it. I, I also think that artists, like, and when I say artists, I mean actors and crew and everybody long for that kind of leadership because it's so exciting. It's so exciting to have somebody that goes, this is going to be fucking hard and fucking awesome. Right, yeah, because yeah. we don't we don't want somebody to just go hit your mark. Let's move on. We got that. Like we want to go, yeah. like let's like we want to go deeper. And there's usually not enough time to go deeper. But you know, at least you're yeah. all in it together when you're when you got leadership like that. We want to be a part of something. Yeah, I feel like no one can be a part of something a on their own. We all need each other, and you know, it's it's like a symphony of sex almost like coming together. It's like. You can hit your mark, but if I don't fo- pull focus, we need to go again. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how your sex life is, but I just want to talk about marks and pull focus. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like sometimes I'm like sitting forward on the monitor. It's just like, <laughs> they hit mark. Is she going to pull focus? Yeah. Is she going to easy? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And then it happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? And so then it's like slow this- fade out. And then slow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you um, did you learn that at some point? Do you remember like being on set and going, "I will never make that mistake again," and I'm going to lead with much more because I, I I think you're one of the most confident and I don't know you you give such an aura of fierceness, but I will also say you're one of the most playful people, which I <laughs> adore in you. So, but I I wonder if there's a time like I can't imagine that you're 100 percent confident 100 percent of the time. Did you learn that lesson along the way? And do you remember when that was? No, I, I think if I'm going to be honest, it's been there all the time. I think at the moment it's just waned a bit as I've gotten a little older, but it has been there from dot, but just simply because I love my job. Yeah. It's just, it's all it comes down to is like, I just love my job. When people go, Oh, you've worked so hard. I was like, I haven't really <laughs> like, I've got to hang out on set like on the beach yeah. with a bunch yeah. of really cool people and we've just been playing the sand for 15 hours. It hasn't felt like work. Or you're telling me I'm working hard? I'm in France right now. Yeah, like, right. This is hard. Like this is like I have the best job in the world and I'm working with like-minded, smart, creative yeah. people. Yeah. Um, don't tell me this is, this is work. You no, you get I mean? to so, do your job. And yeah. So and lucky. I, yeah. So I just... To be honest, like my whole life, I've pinched myself going, I'm, is this really happening? I'm really working in this job. Do you know what I mean? Like even from, from when I was a production owner, I was so excited just to be there through to when I did my first directing day. I was so excited just to be talking to, getting to talk to the actors and like, and from every single moment of my career, I've just been so grateful and excited to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You have so, a very strong gratitude muscle. And I just love people. Like, I just love, I think because I came through the crew, I watched for a long time as an AD how the, the boom operator's arms, like, they're holding yeah, really long. I know. Things. What am I complaining like, about? I'm hitting a mark. You're holding this boom up. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. That's really fucking hard. And for, like, long one oneers and stuff, I'm like, dude, are you all right? And they're like, don't even ask me. I'm ready to go again. Let's go. And yeah. they're like this you know amazing and I just I love seeing that do you do like anything on set like do you do like um like a top of the day rally or anything that kind of pulls you all together that's unique to you yeah not not really I just like try to turn up on set and say hi to everybody and know their names you know um and ask them about their families and try and feel like I know them because I know at the end of the day when I was uh on the crew 
I'd go home and talk to my partner and say, that director was awful. Like they didn't even talk to me about my name. Yeah. Like, and I've worked 16 hours for them. And meanwhile, I've got shit going on in my life that they wouldn't even know. Mm. And I never wanted to be that director that um, didn't sort of try and understand where, where people were coming from. If, if they weren't hitting a mark or they were pulling focus, it's generally if I went up to them, are you okay? And they'd be like, no, actually, um, my friend's in hospital. I'd go, then let's just take a, let's just take a hold of beat. You yeah. just try and understand where they come from. And that to me is important because it's not, at the end of the day, the TV show dies. It's the, you know, connections you make or it's yes. how you affect people's lives on set. Yeah. We just did the shy uh, season three that comes out in next month, actually. And we did this episode it was the bottle episode. So it was a bottle episode, meaning just core cast on, on stage, just to, you know, I think save a little bit of money. Um, and I was just like, ah, oh, shit, like how am I going to make this look nice? Even though all the sets are beautiful, it's like the same characters in the same set for like 50 minutes. And, um, you know, how do I make it cinematically interesting? So I decided that I was going to do every scene one shot. Um, no edits, no coverage. Oh, wow. Um, and so I was getting really excited about us rallying everyone from line producer to production designer to key grip, everyone. And so we ended up having to rebuild a whole set to facilitate this with fly walls so we can get the camera in there. It was and great. And like, I can't believe this. Yeah, I was so excited. So that was the one time when I actually gathered everybody on stage. Um, I mean, we do gather people at the beginning of seasons and stuff, but with this one I just said, guys, this is so important because, you know, I was talking about where we were emotionally in the season and for the characters and I wanted to, I wanted to bring forward the performances. But only to, but to be able to do that, I need all of you to come together and do your best work. Um, so I, I feel like I just, and I said, and this is going to be beautiful and cinematic and lyrical. It's going to be a play and we're all going to be a part of it. Every single one of us are going to be a part of this. And people were, people were excited. Yeah. And we ended up doing a dress up day. We all got dressed up in the same clothes. And there was one day we did a scene. It was the big pivotal scene, six, I think it was eight characters, six page scene. And then I was going, we're not going to do this in one shot. And I was like, we're going to do this in one shot. Jordan, strap that steady cam on. Let's go, yeah. son. We're doing this. And we did it. 27 takes. Oh, my 27 God. takes oh my we God. did. And when we finally got it, I screamed from the monitors. And everyone cheered. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was like, we got it. And people were almost, I think people were crying. Yeah. Like, we were just so happy. This was like, we as a community did this together. And, like, we, we did photos. I had, like, the Steadicam operator who'd just done 27 takes. He was, like, Sweating. a ball of yeah. sweat. I said, don't put this city cam on, Jordan, just get in the camera. I'm putting this fucking city cam back on for this, for this photo. <laughs> Everybody got in it. It was, it was great. And Magic. that's to me, when anyone says to me, what was a highlight of your career? That day, that scene, because I feel like I connected with everybody and everyone felt like they were a part of something. I also say yeah. that you planted the seeds for that moment. Like you can't just arrive on set and just go, okay, folks, like that's a lot of faith people you're asking people to have in you. You're planting seeds and so that that episode, you're like, okay, this is my vision. You, you are funny, Susan, that, that as a producing director, which I have, you know, I'm very um, grateful and privileged to be doing here. You get to do that because you then you, you build relationships with people um, and tr trust and people, you know, get to know you, you get to know them and so you can sow those seeds that they're ready for those. But as an episodic director, you almost need to still be doing, you need to be fast tracking those relationships. Yeah. And you need to walk on your head and kind of like, hello, how are you? Um, I'm just meeting you today and we're going to talk about your deepest, darkest secrets and action. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, you've got to build trust with people within five minutes and it's an interesting challenge, but I, I enjoy doing it because yeah, what are your methods I do love getting kind of stuff. Uh, Hopefully just listening and being... I think listening and being open, like I'm an open book. Yeah. If you want to know anything about me, ask me and I'll tell you. And then at the same time, I hope you can do the same with me. And I guess there's no judgment either way, mm -hmm. you know, that I won't judge you and you won't judge me. And we just get to know each other. Yeah. You know, and I do love like, my mum taught me that. Like my mother had the gift, gift of the gab and as she would call it, the gift of the gab, love, you know, I'd get to talk to everybody. And 
I learned that from my mum. I love that about her. It's like um, listening and talking and, and connecting with people, I guess, you know? Yeah. yeah that's a real gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how did that uh, transition, how, how was the, trans- the transition for you when you started working on how to get away with murder? Because you hadn't worked with Viola Davis before. How was that uh, figuring each other out? Um, it's, it's funny because uh, I had I, done one episode with her as a, as a visiting director. And of course, I was shaking when, when I met her. Like I couldn't yeah. even talk. I just want to thank you for um, telling me that you were shaking because... I think you're the coolest cucumber ever. <laughs> and to know that even like Jet Wilkinson sometimes has her shaky days makes me feel a lot better. Oh God, I have them pretty much every day. Like seriously, I didn't even know how I got out of bed this morning. It was like, oh God. Um, but it was, um, no, I was shaking. I'm speaking to like an Academy Award winner. Like this is where um, I would be walking up to set going, this is the day they'll work out that I'm a fraud, that I'm right. just a hoax. And Viola Davis will call me out and I'm, I, everyone will know that I'm just, I'm as dumb as dishwater and I have no match for Viola Davis. She's actually a lovely woman. Like she's not fierce at you in terms of how she responds to you. She's very open and she listens and she's, she actually, if you know what you're talking about, she'll, she'll, you know, really collaborate with you. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll listen to you. So, um, she was great. She was actually very quiet when I first met her. And um, so I was like, God, oh, she hates me. She I know. That's even worse for me. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, no. And then somehow I think I was so, again, just knew exactly what I wanted. And I could come in and go, this is how we're doing it. Here, 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 and here. Like the cameras. Here's the staging. Does it feel okay? Like I'd always obviously be collaborative with her. Like tell me what doesn't feel. And she'd just be like, no, that's fine. And she'd do it. And then we talk about the script and then she'd do it and it'd be like, and we tweak it here and there. And it was great. Like, yeah. and we, by the end of the episode, she just said to me, I can't, I don't, I can't see you. She said, just call out cues for me. I trust you. I was like, okay. So um, she was in a car and I was just telling her what she was seeing in the car oh, great. and she was doing it. I was like, this is again, beautiful. Just there was something rhythmic about what like we're a dance. doing. Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah. it was a great episode. And then I got invited back to do the producing and we got along really well. Um and by the end of it there was one episode where we'd done an overnighter in a hospital. Oh my god. It was why are we doing why are we starting at six PM and going to six AM? Like this is crazy. There were there were no windows, so it didn't matter, it was because we'd got to the end of that week. And it was like literally she'd just done this huge scene for me, which was just like chasing a gurney and screaming, like, give me back my baby. I don't even know what it was. It was just so <laughs> intense, yeah. 3 a.m. And then by the time we got to the last scene, the last scene was really easy, like, easy, easy logistically, I should say, where she just had to read a piece of paper. Oh, my God. It was like, Viola. And I was like, she was falling asleep. And I'm like, Viola, we, we have 45 minutes to wrap this scene. Yeah. And she was like, mm-hmm. I said, we are going to get through this scene. She was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, we, I will drag you over the finish line. Do you trust me? She goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, again, calling out cues and it, it was fun. It was like this great trust that I yeah. really cherish for the rest of my career. Um, and yeah, she's, she's been a very um, great advocate for me ever since. So I mean, um, that's part of it too, right? So you're laying your golden brick roll road of people that support you and people that believe in you so that the next thing somebody can look back and go, look, she did this and she has that kind of support. Yeah, yeah I was like, it's, I've never been great at like networking. Like, you know, people said to me, you should, you know, be friends with them and be friends with them and keep in contact with them. It's like, yeah, and I will and I do. But I generally do it because I just like them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and um, I mean, even if, that, even if there's a person who's going to be really great for my career down the line, if I didn't get along with them, fuck it, I'm not going to email them. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, if I didn't, I don't respect them. I don't care. Like I don't. I'd rather be friends with the dude who I don't know gave me my parking pass than with the executive producer who shat on me. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. No, it's um, too short. Life's too that, short to have like folks like that around you. It's not. It's yeah. not worth it. There's too many other good people that can do the job just equally as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather just the human connection. And and I just I did love Viola as a person, and and I learned 
so much from her. I mean, yeah. who gets to work with an Academy Award winner every day and watch her read a telephone book? She could read a telephone book and sound amazing. Like, someone she said to me, let's talk about the script. I've got a few questions. How, how does this make sense? I say, it doesn't have to make sense, Viola, because if you say it, it does. you're going to make this, the phone book sound great. And she goes, thanks, Jit, that's helpful. So it was a great lesson you learned. Uh, what was the biggest from lesson Viola Davis? Yeah. Wow. Or from working on that set I, even. Oh, that was a hard one. I mean, working with Viola Davis, uh, she just, um, she was just so good at her job. Yeah. So you have to meet, match that. I do. But you, there's also a point to which you go, just let her breathe. Mm. You know what I mean? There's times when a director needs to step in and sometimes you're not stepping in to really give any directing notes. Sometimes it's to step in and say, do you want a drink of water? Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take a break? Um, rather than going, okay, I love what you did on the second line there with the full stop. Let's think about the comma in the third, in the third speech. How are you blah, blah, blah. And are you going to sit down on that line? I think too much information. I think sometimes when you're working with someone like Viola, she just needs a, like a small piece of, it's just a small piece of action or, some, or, or something encouraging or just a how you're doing mm -hmm. to get her through those 16-hour days, you know. And she yeah. just needs someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. Like, she, she really, those number ones who are in every single scene every single day, they don't, they really just want you to know, they just really want to know that you know what you're doing, you know. Yeah. There's yeah. no, um, maybe we could shoot it from over here or maybe yeah. we could shoot it from over there. They're like, please just let's shoot something. Because well, how do you deal with that? How do you deal if you come on set and you're like, okay, we're going to do this. I have my vision. I'm really lined up. And then something shifts, some weather shifts, lighting shifts, something shifts and you have to refocus. Are you, or somebody has an idea, for instance, that's like, oh, that's not a bad idea. Like, how do you shift your goals? I love it. It's my favorite part because that's why you plan for these things. And that's, that's the, the biggest part of it. When, when also, if, if an actor, let's say, if an actor's being really difficult, now I don't, I don't want to do that. Go, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, can, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. What, what, what would you like to do? I'm going to, I didn't want to shoot over there. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go and have a look at that. And we go and have a look at it. And they go, oh, no, it's okay. I'll shoot over there. It's like, it's three hours. But we can do that. Yeah. Um, or we do go have a look over there and it does look fucking great. Yeah. That's a great idea. Everyone, we're shooting over here. People go, that's going to take another three hours. You'll go, it will, but we have two scenes coming up that we can shave the time off and I think this is worth the change. Yeah. So I think you've got to be just open to collaboration. You've got to be open to that an actor has also thought about this scene and has a vision and you kind of, kind of go, that's a great vision for the scene that we can do or we can facilitate that part of your vision with my part of the vision and we can put it together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about negotiation, you know. Yeah, and I'm surprised that you haven't done more comedy. Because of uh, your playfulness, because of like your, the playfulness you have on set and your, and your yes and quality about you? I, I think that there's two reasons for that. I think you, you do get typecast because I have asked to do some comedies and they go, you have nothing on your showreel and so they want to see people with comedies on their showreel. But also a second of that, I wonder if I just had too much fun because then sometimes I just do giggle so much that I'm like not directing. I'm like, that's so funny. And then maybe it's not that funny and someone needed to say, <laughs> you know. Um, so um, it's all about timing because Brits is such, she's taught me so much about comedies and we watch so much comedy with Brit, way more than I ever used to. Yeah. But comedy is fucking hard to get the timing right and to know when to bring, to, to know when to tonally shape actors so they're not doing too much, do you know what I mean? And like yeah. sort of knowing when to sort of encourage something or when to sort of encourage in a different way. I think, I think it's, I think it's really, it's an art form that I haven't done a lot of, but I'd love to do. Yeah. But maybe, yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it would be hard. Think of all know? the takes that would be real. Like the director's laughing again through a take. Ugh, way too much fun. <laughs> That's what I think it would be. I'd just be giggling too much. There's a lot yeah. of like even dramatic um, stuff I've done where you can hear myself giggling um, in the, um, in the dailies. Yeah. And actually, like, <laughs> laughing. <laughs> it's really hard for us. Oh. Yeah, I'm having too much fun. Sorry. 
I don't want to, but I have to wrap it up because this isn't, this can't be a four hour uh, episode. Okay. It just can't. So I'm going to wrap it up with some like fast paced questions that you can just answer okay. fast as you want to. Um, okay. What do you want to be best known for? Oh, yeah. Compassion and kindness on set. I love it. What's two words to describe your mental state right now? Bored as fuck. <laughs> I'll allow the third word. Um, if this was a movie and we're about to run the credits and the movie is your life, what would be the turning point so far? The climax far? Oh, I guess um, coming to America. You're right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> if, uh, do you have a book in you to write and what would it be, would it be about? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I guess it'd be about life and love and family and, you know, discovering identity and who you are within rather than on the outside. So just a light read. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's something that people don't know about you? Oh, um, that I'm a great guitar player. Are you really? Are you really? No, I'm terrible. <laughs> but I'd like to think I was. I can play things on the guitar, but they're terrible. And my eyes water when I sing. Do you? I my eyes water when I get nervous. It's a weird. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's a weird reflex. And like sometimes in the morning on set, I'm nervous and my eyes will not like they had to give me waterproof everything because I just stream oh, wow. in the morning. Uh, what has been your best mistake and what did you learn from it? Oh my god. I I. Mm. I don't even know. I've made so many mistakes. I've learned from every single one of them. <laughs> life. life is a mistake sometimes. Oh, I don't know. I'll allow it. Um, what, what do you do when you want to regroup? When you, life is out of balance, you need to rebalance it. Um, it's so funny that you ask these questions, I guess, because if I'm going to answer quickly, but not quickly, yeah. mistakes I never see as mistakes. You mean, I mean, like, that's why it's like your best mistake because it was the yeah like, we're a product of our mistakes in a, oh, in a positive way my, one of the mistakes i made a long time ago was i overreacted to something and got really highly emotional about something and i made it worse by over emoting and i can't even tell you this actual situation because it's a long story but what i learned from that is that i try and when given that situation again i've tried to be more of a support and, and, and look at it from that person's point of view than worrying about my point of view. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then in terms of what was the second question? Um, what would I do to, to regroup? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just, I just really think a situation through and I just analyse the shit out of it. Like I just really analyse the pros, the cons, what I could have done, what I didn't do, what I can do in the future. I guess there's always that hope that whatever went wrong or how bad I'm feeling, there's something good around the corner that I need to focus on. I love that. And what, um, two more, what is, uh, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do before the end of your life? Uh, I, I need to uh, um, do an autobiography or shoot my own film with my own voice, either a film or a series that says what I want to say about life and who I am. That's definitely what I need to do professionally in my life, for sure. Oh, I so the people aren't confused, going, you do soap opera, you do genre, what is it that you actually stand for? What do you stand for now? Yeah. And I, I want it to be, you know, children are a legacy, but I also think telling a story is your legacy. This, what I'm doing in this profession is legacy. The message we want to be um, left in life, the time capsule you want to leave, the message you want to leave for the people who come after you. This is what life was. and this is my, my message to myself in my future self, almost, you know. Mm, I get goosebumps. Give me goosebumps. Um, my final question is, what advice would you have given to your younger self? Um, Work harder. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. You're the hardest working person I know. <laughs> um, well, not, to be honest, I have no regrets. I'm, I'm, I, with every, even with every mistake you make, you just know that you're going to learn from it. So just embrace everything. Mwah. I love you so much. I'm so love grateful you too. for this time with you. What Me too. An absolute treat. 
um, we, we should do it again. We should do it again, yeah. like just with a cocktail. With you, you drinking cocktail too. I'm drinking. Uh, no, I'm not drinking that. I've got this. I got my desk is full of nonsense. Um, I honestly could talk to you all day, and I think you're. I'm just so excited to have somebody like you in our community because it makes me feel really hopeful about what's coming out. Like that, your heart and your right. head, and the way you've married them together is such. It's uh, it's my my jam. Oh, thank you. I, I'm, yeah. I appreciate it. It's like like-minded people, soulful people like yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm just such a fan. She's one of those people that love her job so much. You could see it. You can see it by the way she connects with her crew and the way she directs and the way she speaks about the projects. It's uh, it's enviable. It's one of those things that you're like, okay, what, I will move apple boxes on your set just to be around you and your creations. Our talk, I have to tell you, her spirit, she just gave me so many, like she gave me so many goosebumps so many times, literally every 10 minutes. Yeah, I can't wait to sit down away from Zoom with Jet and just catch up. Um, yeah, she's just one of my favorites. Now you can stream the new series, Warrior Nun, and a bunch more of Jet's work on Netflix, and of course, watch The Shy on Showtime or on Crave in Canada. And as I mentioned before, Jet isn't really on much social media, so you're just gonna have to stay tuned to our feeds at Firecracker DEPT for any updates about her new directing projects. We promise that we will keep you in touch, including the upcoming Netflix sci-fi drama series, Away, and also the upcoming TV series adaptation of the video games, Halo. If you're already a subscriber on our YouTube channel, why not hop over there now and get in on it? Cause we've got our after show coming out on this episode later on this week, where you can get to know and hear from our members of the core team and some of the community members too, and how this episode stuck with them and what resonated with them. It's a treat. Go on over to our YouTube channel. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the Firecracker Department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the Firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations and connections happen. Uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect and it's always really fun we drink coffee we often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes and that's the way it rolls we always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively monthly we host a script department reading series a wellness department meditation live spark chats on instagram with past podcast guests and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up, ginormous! everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too, so thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you, yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen, because we know there's a lot of options out there, and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. <laughs>